Hello and welcome to Cyber Unplugged from Sonic Wall. I'm Will Benton and today I'm joined by Alexis Holmes, Alex Michael and Patricia Alves. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Hello. Hi, everyone. Good afternoon. Alex, how's things? Uh, very good, thank you. It's uh, the end of the week. Um, looking forward to uh, an opportunity to, to sleep a bit. <laughs> and you must be packing this weekend because I understand you're moving house next week. I am, I am. Yeah, uh, I don't know where to start. Um, as you can imagine, everything in my work environment is sat here un- un- unpacked. Uh, I don't know how to do it. Um, I imagine everything's going to break. Have you still got the box for your Spectrum? <laughs> no reference. The answer is yes. Don't throw those away. Uh, Patricia, you probably don't know what a Spectrum is, but good afternoon to you too. Hello. Good afternoon. No, I do not know what a Spectrum is, but looking forward to hearing all about it after this. <laughs> and someone that definitely does know what a Spectrum is, Lexis. Well, yes, indeed. And how are you? I'm well. Um, I feel peer pressure, though, obviously, with Alex moving and Neil just moved, I feel the pressure in the SE team to move also. So I will be looking at properties this weekend. Excellent. Good stuff. So today we're going to talk about um, the evolution of technology, specifically around uh, firewalls. Uh, we've just at Sonic will just released the uh, next generation firewall buyer's guide. So I guess, you know, cybercrime looks nothing like it did two decades ago. Fortunately, neither do firewalls. Uh, today's next generation firewalls feature a host of new security controls, significantly higher performance and a greater variety of form factors. Uh, how do these firewalls compare to their early ancestors? Let's have a quick look back. So, Alex, let's just talk through um, what is a firewall? OK, so um, I think I've been doing this for long enough. When I started uh, getting involved with firewalls, we, we can go all the way back when it was simply a, a whole bunch of ACLs or access lists. Uh, and, you know, you'd have to you'd have to type into a in, into a screen to stop traffic coming from a direction. Uh, so, you know, you had source, destination, you could specify if they can or couldn't do that. Um, these firewalls were a lot bigger back then. You know, they I, I, I seem to recall technology that used to they used to have three or four components that could fill a whole cabinet. Um, so that, that's where that's where I certainly, certainly started off. And it was very basic. Um, you, you know, just you could you could you could uh, mess with individual uh, uh, connections. And, and that was about it. You, you couldn't really do any of the fancy stuff we do now. But so basically traffic filtering then, um, you know, looking at inbound, outbound traffic. And it was basically deny or accept yes or a no there was none of this east west uh, rule based firewalls like none of that kind of thing right very straightforward yeah absolutely yeah uh, and then we leap into the to the to the stateful era and and things got a bit fancier i'm not sure if that's the, the right expression but um you know all of a sudden you have a firewall that that you're aware of uh, protocols um and and because you know like the word stateful suggests you could you, it, it would remember the state of the uh, of the communication so the back and the forth would all be held um, as a as a session, um, and that means you can you can you can do a, a few more things. You know, you can you can look for patterns to protect against denial of service, but you you, you still were limited because you weren't you didn't know what was happening in the payload. So the the analogy I always use, and I'm sure I've used it on this podcast before, um, you know, a lorry herring down the motorway. Uh, you, you look at the, the the truck, and you can see the number plate. You can see the flag the driver has in his cab. Um, and you can see the name on the side of that of that of that truck, the container, but you don't know what's inside, and that's and that's where all the action is at, um, you know, to, to glam it up a bit, and and so stateful files when you couldn't do that, so you know, and, and that that isn't necessarily just a file or or um, uh, you know or a virus or anything like that. It's also application. 
So that's that's where Staple fell short. And th- there was a, an uncomfortable time, certainly for me as an engineer, where, you know, we only had Stateful um, firewalls. And, you know, people were starting to use some really fancy uh, applications, you know, for peer-to-peer and, and, and so on. And the technology wasn't quite ready for that. So it was a struggle to try and stop this stuff. It really was. Yeah. I mean, I think... Stateful was really kind of the first evolution of the firewall because you were looking at, you know, network traffic and expecting it from layer two all the way up to, to layer seven, right? Um, and kind of really giving context to, to the, the connection, um, you know, looking at the packets and making sure they're matched to the connections that they belong to, um, which again is offering additional security there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You've done your homework. <laughs> well, well, I have been around a long time. A long time. Yes, that was an accusation. I take that back. We'll cut out of the podcast. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, thanks, Alex. So, Lex, I think you know the evolution of the firewall moved on to to zone based firewalling. So perhaps you could give us an idea of what that meant. So the idea of zone based firewalling was it essentially gave you the ability to segregate your traffic and have different security and different trust levels at different places, and that really added a lot more security than just in and out. You could now say, well, these web servers are kind of on the internet, so they're not. we don't really want them on the LAN, so we want to push them off to the side. And that's really where zone-based security came in. It sort of gave a bit more flexibility to stateful firewalling. So moving on from there, what we've seen after what Alex was saying, you know, we understand that we had sort of stateful firewalling with, with zoning and such like in firewalls. Um, and then alongside that, we saw this huge growth into sort of sister products, if you will. So you would have a, a gateway AV appliance and you'd have an IPS appliance. And then before you know it, you'd have your rack half full with multiple appliances. And so this is where we started to see the birth of the UTM or Unified Threat Management Platform. And this term was coined in about 2004 by IDC, a research company at the time. And the idea of a UTM is it was consolidation. You know, why would you have a gateway AV appliance and an IPS and a firewall when really you kind of want them all tied into a single solution? And so the concept of the UTM was born and it was all around consolidation. And what we saw is this kind of started in sort of the smaller markets, moved into the mid market, and over the years has moved up to enterprise. But one of the overarching problems with UTM was performance. Yes, it was convenient to have everything in one place. Yes, it made life easier. It was easier to tie everything into single policies and a single device. Fantastic. But the problems we found were literally performance went through the floor, and this was the same for everyone involved. And so what we saw coming out of this several years later was the birth of next-generation firewalling. And this really was sort of the next movement on from UTM or NGFW as it's known. So next generation firewalling kind of took the idea of UTM and ran with it. So probably the first key differentiator before we even get to all the new features that came with it was performance. We saw massive jumps in performance for the next generation firewalls. Uh, When you compare them to UTMs, they were sort of three to five times faster. Um, you could turn on security without bringing your appliance to its knees. Suddenly, rather than a consolidation piece, it was also a good idea piece as well. It all pulled everything together. Along with this huge growth in that sort of performance space, we saw the addition of new next-generation firewall technologies, such as user control, being able to apply policy now to user levels within your directory structure, such as LDAP or 
a variant such as Active Directory. We have the ability to have sandboxing and protect against zero-day threats. We've got application control, the ability to control applications. Um, we had sort of VPNing technology and a more advanced security control. So really, next generation firewall really jumped miles ahead of what we saw with UTM and delivered the promise that was given with UTM, really. Because I guess you talk about performance and load on, on the UTMs. I mean, if we look back to you know when they were released, it was just around about the time of Web 2.0, so dynamic content, dynamic web, you know, um, you know, moving away from static pages, which actually put a lot of load through those devices. So I guess that was the birth of... Of, of next generation firewall. Um, Patricia, what are the essential capabilities that uh, a next generation firewall should have? Thanks, Will. So as, as all of you have touched on, firewalls have really evolved in the past 30 years and now come with a lot of functionality on box that was previously delivered via standalone products. And that's what really makes a firewall a next generation firewall. But for a buyer, there's a lot to consider, right? Because um, there are key capabilities to look out for when selecting the right next-gen firewall for you. And I would split these key capabilities or features into kind of essential or standard capabilities and more advanced optional add-ons. So some of the essential or standard capabilities are things like VPN, IPS, app control, web control, or URL filtering, etc. And within each of these categories, there are specific things for a buyer to look out for. So uh, for VPN, as an example, uh, which provides secure access to corporate networks uh, and resources, it's important to make sure that the next-gen firewall provides a comprehensive VPN solution with both site-to-site and remote access encryption. It should also include advanced features such as route-based VPN with dynamic routing, but it's also important that it's easy to use and has things like step-by-step wizards and also easy to manage from the same management console as the firewall. And IPS, for example, which is a a signature-based approach to stopping known threats, the key thing to look out for here is the threat intelligence feed that keeps the signature database up to date. And also the ability to deploy in both detection-only mode or protection mode is key as well. Uh, There's a few other uh, essential or standard capabilities, like I said, application control, web control. So, Alex, I'll hand over to you to comment on those. Thanks, Pat. Yeah, I mean, um, I I think of all of of the the services that you can now uh, uh, use, application control, application visibility and control was something that made a big difference to my day to day, you know, going back a few years. Um, and, and the idea is, you know, as, as an engineer, if I'm looking at if I'm looking at a whole bunch of traffic going through a firewall, you've got a whole, you know, numbers and, and, and text and arrows pointing on a, on a command line. Um, and, and you had to work out what was happening based on port number in a lot of the cases. And, you know, and even then it was difficult and it was, you know, you had, you had to learn how to filter through all this, all this information. And then cue something like application visibility, application control, and your firewall just tells you. So you're there on the interface um, and uh, it will say to you, someone is using remote desktop. They are doing this much of it um, and it's going to this, this destination. And then all of a sudden it became easy because you could then react to that and, and you could control that application and block it. And, you know, I, I think I think if you speak to any engineers who've done this lo- long enough, uh, you know, they'll have some great stories of uh, of, of showing, uh, you know, a customer or, or whatever, what's going through their firewall and that look of shock when they realize that it's all Netflix or it's all, uh, 
you know, shopping websites or gambling websites and, or, or maybe they're playing games. And this, this is the sort of the power that we just didn't have. And it, and it just sped up the troubleshooting part of our, of our job back then just suddenly, just suddenly improved. So, you know, that, that's an important one. And the other one is, is, is web control. And, and, and typically with, with web control, URL filtering, you still do get separate solutions and, and, and that's, and that's okay. But with, with it, with it built into a firewall means that you can deal with that traffic as it, you know, leaves the perimeter. And that and that means that you can stop people from going to those websites because that very much is the challenge, isn't it? You know, people need to surf the web. They need, to, you know, as part of their job, they need to find information. But we don't want them surfing, surfing everything and 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 so on. So web control on the firewall, you know, it's, it's just another layer that that you can enable and disable, and that can be really flexible with different groups and so on. Yeah, no, it's a very good point, and we'll come on to in a minute advanced next generation firewall features around you know zero day threat protection. But whilst 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 you're there. Um, terms of deployment i mean we in the you know 10 years ago you put a box in in a rack and that would be it but now there are many more options of deploying a firewall yeah absolutely i the i guess physical is still um the, the preference certainly in my experience and and by that we mean you have a box uh, uh or, or an appliance you, you stick that in the rack and you plug stuff into it and you can hold on to it and you can feel it and you could admire its lovely color um uh, but but what you also have now is is virtual firewalls and this is probably more important now than ever because you don't have to go into a comms room or a rack to deploy, uh, you know, to deploy a firewall. You can you can virtually deploy the software onto a, onto existing infrastructure, uh, and and then and then do it virtually. And then you can configure the way the traffic flows, you know, with virtual switching. Um, so you know, pr- private cloud very much very much a place of um, uh, having a virtual firewall for that. and and public cloud. Um, uh, and, and Lex, what do you think? What do you got to say about um, about those two? So, I mean, when you look at you know virtual firewalls, as you rightly said, they can be deployed in multiple ways. Obviously, the most probably most common and sort of most ubiquitous way is virtual in a more traditional private cloud deployment, where people can spin them up in local networks and use them for things like micro segmentation, or they can even be used as a core firewall for a deployment. And even used up in data centers in a very, very similar manner, or even in, in private cloud. Uh, but then we see this move with organizations hybridizing and moving into this sort of public cloud and hybriding that with sort of local network connectivity. And what we see then is kind of the birth of the public cloud firewalls that can be deployed into the likes of Azure and AWS and giving you that ability to essentially protect core networking resources within the cloud. Obviously, if you look at sort of the offering that, as an example, Azure gives as a standard firewall, it's it's much nearer to what you would deem to be a stateful firewall rather than a what we would call a next-generation firewall. So by going to sort of a next-generation firewall virtual appliance, you bring in a lot of functionality that you would not get automatically racked up within Azure for you. Great. Thanks, Lex. So we've talked about... Um we talked about multiple ways of deploying a, a firewall then. Uh, we talked about the evolution of the firewall from a stateless firewall to stateful inspection, UTM, next generation firewalls. Now we're going to talk about advanced next generation firewall features. So, you know, for effective zero day threat protection, we need next generation firewalls that include malware analysis that can detect evasive and advanced threats. Uh, using the latest sandboxing technology that scans the traffics and extracts suspicious code for analysis. Lexus, perhaps you could just talk us through some of those additional features and what they look like. Certainly, there's plenty of them, which is a great thing for us to talk about. So if we 
sort of carry on with the concept of looking at sort of threats and threat mitigation, especially sort of zero-day threats. That's really where sandboxing comes to the fore, in fact, multi-instant sandboxing. The idea of using multiple technologies to scan files that you may or may not be infected. And the problem you get with traditional firewalling with gateway antivirus is it's all signature-based. Uh, there might be a little bit of heuristics in there, but largely you're kind of if it matches, you block it, and if it doesn't, if it doesn't match, it comes through. Uh, with sandboxing, what happens is it builds on that as the next layer and basically says, "Well, I've seen that come through. Can it be executed in any size, shape, or form? So, is it a document, a script file? Is it an executable, and what have you? And if it can be executed, then what it will do is it will bring it in and fully process it. And what sandboxing allows the system to do is to essentially look at that in a virtual environment, detonate it, if you will, to see what happens when it's run and executed. And in doing so, it can get an understanding of whether or not it's going to do something malicious or not. Now, one of the problems we find is some malware can tell that it's in certain types of virtual environment. So by using different types of virtualization technologies in parallel, it gives you the ability to essentially have that layered security approach makes it much harder for malware to obfuscate and get through. So it's a really core feature and, you know, something that every next generation firewall nowadays really must have on it. <clears throat> Other core technologies that go hand in hand with that, uh, we're going to look at things like sort of SSL and TLS decryption, uh, really important, and it gives you the ability as an organization to really look into encrypted traffic that's passing through your firewall that otherwise you wouldn't. Um, just to put things into perspective, if you look at the, the Google Transparency Report, and I haven't looked at it for a couple of weeks, but as of the 20th of February, 90% uh, of all Windows-based browser traffic within the Chromium platform, so that means things like Microsoft Edge, Google Chrome, Opera, and many other web browsers that sort of make up about 80% of the browser market, 90% of that traffic's HTTPS. And what that really means to the layman is that's 90% of your traffic that's bypassing all the security in your firewall. And that's why SSL decryption is so important, or TLS decryption. It really is a core feature that people should be leveraging in order to maximize the security on their device. And then alongside that, you know, we see quality of life improvements as well. Things like SD-WAN or software-defined WAN, giving you the ability to, rather than just use multiple links for internet connectivity to essentially bring them together and optimize your traffic over them. So SD-WAN will allow you to optimize traffic based off of various criteria such as sort of jitter, packet loss, latency, and then dependent on what profiles you build, you know, your applications will automatically be steered down the connection that has the most optimal traffic for it. And it will give you the best connectivity that you can and that can be used site to site with sd-wan or you can use that site to cloud there are different ways that you can roll it out but essentially it allows you to optimize your traffic delivery and sending and that's never a bad thing and certainly yeah. can really improve connectivity for offices i mean the other thing is it gives you resilience it's very much like wan failover but on steroids if you will it gives you that sort of great resilience and the easy way to think of it from that standpoint and with all the other benefits of traffic optimization is it's it's kind of like uh like raid so raid which is redundant array of inexpensive disks essentially took really cheap hard drives 
and then gave you sort of higher capacity and higher resilience than you would get from a single bigger hard drive. And when you look at things like SD-WAN, it does a very similar thing. It kind of gives you MPLS-like resilience by using very cheap ADSL or fiber connectivity. And then you've kind of got the resilience that you wouldn't get from a single MPLS line. And then on top of that, you get the traffic optimization, which is traditional for MPLS. So you're kind of getting that MPLS-like experience for a fraction of the cost. Yeah, that's great, Lex. And that leads on to um, to, to price and performance. We've talked a lot around security features, but um, I guess as we're considering purchasing uh, um, firewalls or security appliances, uh, price and performance are key considerations. So, Patricia, just talk to us about pricing structures, calculate, calculating total cost of ownership uh, when it comes to selecting a firewall and a vendor. Absolutely. Thanks, Will. So, as you rightly said, apart from the essential and, and the more advanced security features, price versus performance needs to be considered when investing in a new firewall. And every vendor has different firewall models uh, that vary widely in performance. And each one also has different price points and pricing models. So, for example, physical appliances will have a larger upfront purchase price or CapEx cost and some yearly subscriptions of services and support, uh, while most cloud firewalls are priced based on a yearly subscription. So before getting into a price or performance analysis, it's important to know the projected three or five year TCO. And most vendors, again, they don't have an all inclusive price. So they'll have uh, a separate charge for the hardware and then a separate charge for the security services and support, etc. So, um, you know, you have to add all of those different line items together. And also, it's really important to consider the cost of HA pairs and clustering calculating TCO. So some vendors have different price points for HA appliances. Some vendors charge for security services and support on those appliances and some don't. And all of that has a significant impact in TCO, of course. Uh, So after determining the TCO, uh, you can perform price versus performance analysis across different vendors very, very easily. And the simplest way to do this is by dividing the TCO by the next generation firewall throughput. So let's say, you know, in an example, the TCO of a a three-year investment is $250,000 and the firewall throughput is 100 gig. The price versus performance ratio is $2,500 per gigabit per second. That's really, really easy way to um, look at price versus performance across multiple vendors. That's great. Thank you, Patricia. That's a really good, uh, really good tool to, to use. So I guess just to conclude then before, before we close off, um, you know, many factors to consider. Uh, we've talked about for, uh, a lot of those today um, and lots of options to choose from before selecting your next generation firewall. Uh, some of those factors might include security controls, advanced security, network size, virtual or cloud, uh, performance, and then the support options. So when it comes to solving business challenges, enterprises are generally eager to adopt new technologies such as cloud computing, workforce mobility, and automation. But now many enterprises are finding their digital transformation journey laden with the new challenges, including a surge in the number of connected devices, millions of encrypted connections, increased bandwidth needs, uh, continually evolving evasive attacks, and increased network operational costs. And of course, um, you know, the global pandemic, many more people working from home, many more people connecting back in via VPN, via the firewall. So, you know, those are some of the things that you should definitely be taking into account as you're choosing your next device. Alex, anything from you? Any closing remarks? 
I, th- I think you nailed it. That was uh, that was very complete. Alexis, anything from you? No, I think you actually ticked off everything that needed to be taken into account, uh, especially with pe- saying that people would be veeping in via the fireball. I think one thing to just be aware of that is obviously where traditionally people would be behind the fireball. Currently, we're in a sort of almost an inside-out deployment where most of the organisations on the other side of the firewall. So just take that into consideration when sizing. Yeah, that's a very good point, actually. And Patricia, anything else from you? No, nothing else from me. Just thanks very much for having me. No, thanks, Patricia. You're always welcome on these podcasts. Alex, Alexis, have a great weekend. Hopefully, we'll see you all next week. Goodbye. It's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from him. Thank you very much. Goodbye, everyone. You are the two Ronnies. Thank you very much. (laughs) Bye, guys. Bye, guys.